Hello, everybody. This is Gregory. Welcome. Today, we're going to have a men's advocate on, Linda Gross. If you want information on her, she's going to kind of give her backstory. We're both going to learn about her at the same time. And if there's any questions you want to ask her or you feel like I'm not asking her, I feel like if men need women to talk about certain issues, it already shows you a problem. Well, look, I mean, we'll talk about this with Linda. I think it's important that we do have female MRAs. There's female specific therapists that help men who've been divorced, raped. There's uh, Dr. Palmitieri, Tara Palmitieri, I think is her name. And she caters specifically to men that have been hurt or ruined by cluster B whack jobs. So certainly you see the honey badger movement. Certainly, I think it does help to have women that are in the movement. I do have that video. What's the angle of female red pill content creators? Maybe go check that out, search it out. I am a little, I look askance, I should say, at female PUA. So women who are like, man, you want to pick up women, blah, blah, blah. This is how you do it. I look kind of worrisome or skeptical about what their goal is. But in general, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with having females bringing up the system has its flaws. I mean, look at Cassie J in the Red Pill movie. There's certainly a place for women to take up the Red Pill cause. And certainly, I mean, we know on the opposite side, how many SJW men and manginas are on the feminist cause. Maybe because they feel like they can get in the pants of these feminists if they're like, yeah, I'm on your side, I'm on your side. But there's plenty on that side. So I don't see why we can't have women on this side. Let's just hear your backstory, Linda. So uh, where are you from? What's your background? And then eventually, how did you get involved in this movement? Yeah, absolutely. I wrote a book. It's called The Science of Mastering Women. I took about 10 years to do the academic research on it. I have a degree from UCLA in psychology. And so a good portion of my research, I wanted to go back 10,000 years ago to figure out how was mating and dating back then? And has it changed much since then? Because I keep hearing over the last several decades that it's all about environment. It's all about how you were raised. And somehow that didn't sit well with me. So I wanted to go back 10,000 years ago to see, is it nature or is it nurture, meaning your environment? And what I found over and over again is that it is nature, meaning that it's biology. And upon further thought with this, Mother Nature is not stupid. I mean, the whole goal here is for the continuance of the species. So there has to be certain systems in place that no matter how dumb the participants are, that the species is going to continue. So a lot of what goes on, in my opinion, and based on my research, is nature. It's hormones and synapses and bodily functions and things that go into place without your putting any thought to it. It's like at a tickle in your nose, you get something in your nose sneeze. You don't have to put advanced thought into it. Your body wants to expel something that's tickling your nose. If there's something caught in your throat, you automatically go to coughing. So same kind of thing. These systems are in place with thought or not. And I know a lot of people get upset with that. They say, oh, we're human. Don't we have control over this? Of course, we have control over it. We can override the systems that are already there. But the question is, do we? Humans are lazy, and most of the time we don't. Of course, we have the ability to override certain dating and mating functions, but we don't usually. So Mother Nature is happy because we're <laughs> populating and we're continuing the species, which is the end goal here. So, so I what- took all that academic research, and then I took it to what I call the man on the street. 
um, in my case, it was primarily the use of the internet. But I wanted to take it to the average guy on the street to say, how has mating and dating been a problem for you? And what problems can I solve? So I interviewed 20,000 men. Wow. And so I coupled what their issues were, what they wanted to know with my academic research. And hence, that's the, that's the and so let's go back to the Paleolithic part. So from your study, from your book, yeah. what did you find was Paleolithic mating rituals? I think some people might be familiar with the book Sex at Dawn. I think maybe, I don't know if that's a good book. I haven't read it, but I, I know that it deals with some of those issues. What did you find in your research about how we used to mate back in the Paleolithic times? Well, the key thing, I mean, from a man's point of view, the number one thing that they're looking for is what does the woman look like? Sure. So the guy is out hunting all day with his buddies and whatever, and he's way over there on the hill. He doesn't want to waste his time coming off the hill into the village to bang a particular woman if she doesn't look good. And, the, and I know the feminists get all upset with that, but that's biologically how it is. He doesn't want to waste his time. So do you think, um, just really quickly, do you think they get angry about that? Because, you know, the stereotype is most feminists are really ugly, right? Yeah. Ugly, overweight, post-wall women. But I'm just, yeah. that's anecdotal. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So most think that you should love me for my sparkling personality, that it should be <laughs> according to how I look. Uh -huh. But of course, it's how you look. I mean, to, from a guy's point of view. Now, when you flip the tables for a woman, looks, meaning the guy, are not that important. Are they in the top 10? Yes, they're in the top 10. Is it number one? Absolutely not. So is there an exception to that rule? Yes, there's an exception to the rule. The 20-something women do bang just like guys. And for those women, because they're so stupid and they're just playing around, the 20-something women probably do have a higher probability of just going after the guy's look. But overall, when you encounter all women, that's usually not how it works. So anyway, back to the guy, the Paleolithic guy on the hill. Why should he come off the hill after a long day of hunting and bang the girl at the village? Well, he's looking for that all important, what it's called is hip to waist ratio, mm -hmm. meaning that he wants a sizable amount of hips and a small waist. That's all he cares about. Because guess what? They don't have a good, and that ratio, by the way, the optimal range is 70 to 80%, the hip yeah. to waist ratio. I, if, I, if, I've heard about that 0.7 hip to waist ratio. I've heard about that. Yeah. 0.7 is perfect, but he will accept up to 0.8. Now, once you get into 81%, 85%, 90%, what does that mean? What does that do to a woman's shape? It makes her look more like a rectangle, makes her look more like a guy. If you look at athletic women, maybe like a gymnast or something, they've got that rectangular shape. They've got pretty much no waist. So the guy that's coming off the hill doesn't want that. And the reason why they don't want that is for two reasons. A is you might already be pregnant. So why should he waste his time with a woman who's already pregnant? Or he doesn't like it because that probably means the woman is not healthy, not healthy enough to bear good looking and healthy children. So again, why waste this time? So statistically speaking, if the woman has that 70 to 80% hip to waist ratio, you're probably healthy and she's worth banging 
So he'll come off the hill and, you know, have his way with it. So has that changed? No. I mean, I think the broadcast media keeps telling you again and again and again, your dad is beautiful and I'm large and in charge. And, you know, you're such, you're such a horrible man for thinking anything other than that. But that's biology. That's how this works. Yeah. And they don't want to hear that. Absolutely. I mean, that's the thing about the uh, body positive movement, right? I'm fat and yeah. large and happy. And I have a podcast because I used to be morbidly overweight as a child and adolescent and I oh. lost all my weight. And, and I talk about the problems with the body positive movement, because if you really care about somebody, you're not going to encourage them to continue a lifestyle that's going to shorten their life expectancy due to tons of comorbidity, right? We right. want to encourage them to lose the weight. But you see with the body positive movement, it's, oh, you need to accept me for who I am, fat and proud. I'm like, we wouldn't say that for a heroin addict who's going to continue that lifestyle. Right. But definitely uh, there's a problem with that. But yeah, what, what you're saying, of course, is not politically correct, especially in this kind of woke culture that we're in right now where everything is a thought crime, Orwellian thought crime. Yeah. Uh, that's going to get you fired or, or taken down. But yeah, absolutely. Men are attracted. And I've mentioned this on my channel. And I don't, I think it's not like really revelatory that we are wired to look at beauty, youth, fecundity first, right? That That's the first thing we look at. Absolutely. And the other qualities that a woman has, yeah, they're great, but we really, they're superseded by beauty, youth, fertility. That's why the sexual market value graph of a woman, whether or not you agree with it or not, and I don't know if you're familiar with that Rolo Tomasi's graph, but the peak yeah. SMV of a woman is 18 to 24, which correlates with typically her, her peak fertility. And a lot of women who are older, 35, 40, certainly postmenopausal, uh, they get furious when you bring this up that men like younger women and can anecdotally bring up evidence. Look at porn, right? How much porn is dominated by 45 year old women? It's not right. It's 18 to 24. If you look at the fashion industry models, 18 to 24. If you look at most celebrity actresses and I have a four part series of where did these nineties actresses go when they reach a certain age, their roles dry up. So can you comment on that? Like post wall women getting angry that men are attracted to young, beautiful women. And again, it goes back to biology. If I right. take it back to 10,000 years ago, heck, we, we were all dead at age 25. <laughs> so of course the guy is gonna go after someone who's 14 to 24. So again, it speaks to biology. I know the women today, they hate hearing that. They hate hearing that you're looking at their body. And they would finally wrap their heads around that is what works. That's what men want. Not only would she be healthier, but everyone would be happier. I mean, come on now. Who is it benefiting? Actually, there is a segment of the population that it's benefiting by her being overweight. And that's the you know, processed foods and the junk food. Then, you know, fast yeah. food and, and the health industry, they want you to have cancer, they want you to be sick, it, it benefits the drug companies, because now they put you on insulin and other drugs that are related to your being overweight, like diabetes and such. So yeah, it's a big money market to keep the women fat. <laughs> Doesn't do any service to the guy, but there's big money in it. Yeah, going back to the SV, uh, Tomasi has the SV graph, how women view themselves, their SV in their eyes. And in that yeah. graph, it's great because it shows her thinking she's a 10 from 18 to like 45 before she starts dropping off. And that's yeah. massive denial. And I tell women, it's like, look, the SV graph does not give you an indication of your value as a human being or your value as a mother or as a doctor or anything like that. It's just your ability to parlay your beauty into 
getting a high quality man, getting a man, getting a job, something like that. And I try to explain that to women, but one of the innate fears of a woman, and you can attest to this because you're a woman, is the younger woman coming in, right? I mean, the tale is old as time, right? Man exchanges the 45-year-old wife for the 27-year-old trophy wife. So when women hear about the SFV graph and they hear, they already know this intuitively because they're always competing with the next bevy of 25-year-old girls. Yeah, absolutely. So what about hypergamy? So I always mention in this channel, like back in the Paleolithic days, it made sense for women to want to be with the Paleolithic man who was the leader of the clan because he could provide the best accommodations, whatever, the biggest cave, fend off the betas, fend off the predators. And so it made sense for women at that time who were very vulnerable to so many things to gravitate toward the strongest man, the biggest status man. And how today hypergamy, of course, still exists, but now it's kind of been transmuted into more of like money because we're not really worrying about the saber tooth tiger coming to devour you. And I know a lot of men who are in the red pill world hate hypergamy because they've suffered from the slings of hypergamy because a woman monkey branched from them who makes 60,000 a year to a guy who makes 250,000 a year. But I try to explain to them, it's like hypergamy is so wired endogenously in women that you can't really be angry about it. You just have to understand it. And also that hypergamy benefited all of us. If you look at our ancestors because our maternal ancestors all tried to get the best mate to breed with and because they did that we are here today absolutely i mean again it's a biological need in general men are bigger better stronger faster than we are in general so of course she's going to look to someone who has better strength or can provide for her and the children because she's physically like not able or not capable of doing what most guys are capable of doing. And again, it's a biological feature. I mean, it's nothing to get upset with, just how it is. So if she's now fallen into the river, might look after the guy who is six feet tall because that extra three inches, four inches in arm length might mean the difference between him pulling her out of the river or not her surviving or not. So tell my guys who are shorter, they have hangups with regard to height and so on and so forth. I said, first and foremost, you've got the first three months of dating, you've got to convince the woman that you are bigger, better, stronger, faster. Even though you might not have the height, you have to translate that in some kind of way that provide for her in that regard. So if that means going to work out at the gym to give yourself extra strength, to where if that danger comes, maybe it's a, a weather danger like a hurricane or a tornado or a tsunami or whatever it is, you've got to demonstrate to her that you can provide safety for her and the kids and pull her out of danger. I would totally agree. It, let's continue talking about intersexual dynamics, but let's keep, let's get you caught up to today. So you wrote the book, you interviewed men. So what, where, how did you get to where you are today? And then what services do you offer? What do you, how do you advocate for men exactly? Yeah, I... It kind of got started because I really, my heart goes out to a lot of guys who are divorced and they get such a raw deal in the custody court. And oftentimes the woman gets on the stand and she starts lying and she says um, that there is abuse. It could be right. spousal abuse. It could be child abuse. It's like a, it's a complete lie. And the judge doesn't even look up from the paperwork. 
and he awards custody to her. And it's not fair. And I hate things that are not fair. And I wanted to be an advocate for men and stand up for men. And I actually, a a number of years ago, I was asked to give a speech in Sacramento, our capital here in in California. I feel for you you that you live in the People's Republic of California. It's a beautiful state. The politics are just horrendous. It's horrible. It's just absolutely horrible. (laughs) Anyway. So I gave a a speech on the Capitol steps with regards to men's rights. And it kind of got, you know, the men's advocate kind of got started on that notion. And then I, of course, expanded it to all issues that relate to men. And people keep saying, what about the women? What about the women? I'm like, look, there are a thousand other shows that are for women. There's very few shows that are for men that promote men. And a lot of the shows, they're run by men. They're run by pickup artists and so forth. And I wanted to give a more real representation of what's going on in a woman's mind and how the man can interact with her. And knowledge is power. Once you understand why women do the things that they do, then it's like you have the golden key that unlocks the lock then it's all easy peasy. Like once you understand, and again, the last several decades, they keep saying, you know, the sexes are the same, the sexes are the same, the sexes are equal. No, they're not. They're absolutely not. So once you, I highlight the differences. And once you understand, as a guy, once you understand what the differences are, it all becomes so easy. It's like, oh my God, head slap. I get it now. So do you offer like one-on-one coaching or do you have a YouTube channel or exactly what, how do you provide these services? Yes, I do one-on-one coaching. They can find me on themensadvocate.com, themensadvocate.com forward slash coaching. And you can sign up in like 15 minute increments. Most people sign up for one hour. And unlike psychotherapy, I have a lot of customers that come to me that they have lifelong issues. They've been in psychotherapy for five years, seven years, even 10 years, their issue still isn't solved. My one-on-one coaching, we get your problem, your lifelong problem handled in four sessions or less. Um, I don't believe in stretching it out. I get right to the meat of what's going on with you and we will get your problem solved. So that's one avenue. And then the other avenue is, of course, my books. You can find them on Amazon. Uh, the Science of Mastering Women. And then the third avenue is I also have a podcast. Um, they can type in to Google the Men's Advocate show and the podcast should come up. It's on Blog Talk Radio. Great. I love what you mentioned the court system because you're right. Anytime a woman's on the stand, right, she can do no harm. She's the sweet doe, right? And anytime the yeah. man says anything, he's guilty till proven innocent. And nothing happens to women in most cases that practice false allegations. Nothing right. ever happens to them. Right. I did a couple of shows. What's really prevalent right now is a college age women who go to bed with a guy and yeah. at the time it's consensual and then right. they sleep on it for two days, two weeks, <laughs> whatever it is. And they say, oops, no, it's rape. Yeah. And Every single case that I looked into, I looked at about nine different legal cases and it was, they were all lying. And none of those cases did the women get any adverse effect. There was no jail time. There was no restitution to the guy. There was like no penalty. It's like, Mm -hmm. what the heck? 
In what know, the, guy, the guy has been kicked out of school, lost right. his job, and worse. Yeah, so much for patriarchy. But see, I tell this, to, I tell this to men. I go, you MGTOW monk is the most prudent way to live your life. It's not as exciting as being hookups and PUA vows never to marry because even with STR short-term relationships, you're still dealing with pregnancy, STDs, and then false allegations. And I tell men as much. And there's a couple guys here who have experiences with this. I tell him, it's like, yeah, she says it's consensual. But first of all, if she's drunk, there's no consent given when either person's under the influence of alcohol. But the next morning, if you thought it was a pump and dump, but she thought it was something more and you just kind of brush her away, the next day she's like, you raped me. What's your proof that you didn't rape her? Your semen is in her. What's your proof? It goes to then your word versus her word. And we know the way the system is set up. Her word is gold. And the man is the toxic a-hole. So it's way too risky. And then a lot of guys who are like believe in the unicorn, they'll be like, oh, you know, my woman wouldn't do this or this woman wouldn't do this or not all women do this. Sure, not all women do it. And that's why I mentioned here. It's like, I am not a misogynist. I, I don't hate women. I hate the system that can make any woman at any time be able to destroy a man. Yeah, it's so lopsided. I mean, with regard to drinking, and that's a very good point. I tell the guy, if she has had more than two drinks, don't bang her. Because then the consent thing comes into place uh, legally, and she could say, oh, I was too drunk to give you consent. So that's a no. And I said, you know what? With regard to college women... They are so brainwashed by their professors and the system and feminism and all this kind of stuff. I tell them, don't bang college women. Go down the street and bang the girl at the 7-Eleven because those college-age women are so brainwashed and they're out to fetch you. Yeah, yeah. of uh, putting a webcam on yourself, I don't know how you prove as a guy. I don't know how you was consensual. I wonder if you, and I think I talked about this in my video, your, the false allegation, your one phone call away. I wonder if it's legally binding, if you can get the woman to sign some form while she's still sober before you guys go on the date. Like if any sexual relations ensue in this date, it's consensual, da, da, da. Or some voice recording on your iPhone right before you have sex. I, Rebecca consent to having sex. I wonder if any of that is admissible in court. I'm glad you bring that up. A lot of colleges actually are having their students sign such a document. Again, you know, whether it holds up because right down to the last millisecond, she can change her mind. Right. She might have signed that piece of paper 10 minutes ago, but maybe something you did or didn't do causes her to change her mind. Then what? Right. You know, Does that hold up in court? Is it a little bit of a deterrent? Yes, it's a little bit of a deterrent. Is it a full deterrent? No. I think the audio recording way maybe would be a little better than the writing because let's say you have her sign it at 7 p.m. Yeah. that any sex ensues. But what happens later on in the night? She says, no, you could rape her and theoretically say, look, I have paperwork that it was consensual. And we know sometimes women in the heat of sex you say no, but that's just the foreplay. I, to me, it's just way too many loopholes. But I would agree. I mean, it's better to bang a, a town versus a gown girl. I would agree. I'm um, really fast. I want to answer some questions that are here in the post. So I have a guy here, yeah. Tekken. 
He says, that's why I've officially gone MGTOW because I'm 5'3", and all red pill men know you have to have height to play the game. How would you respond to that? What advice would you give a man who's 5'3"? Yeah, like I was saying a few minutes ago, the number one quality that women are looking for is confidence. So you've got to convey to her that you have confidence, meaning that if there's danger, that you can pull her and the children out of danger. So at 5-3, that's the number one job that you have is convince her that you are that person. So maybe it's not just a physical thing. I, I was coaching one guy and maybe he had money. He was making good financial investments and here we are in COVID and everybody lost their job, but he had enough savings and enough money to sustain himself during these hard times when everybody else has lost their job. It doesn't have to be money. In my book, you'll find 20 ways to provide. Money is only one of the 20 ways. There are lots of ways. Education, meaning that you have a trait or a skill that you can teach her. You can teach her how to play guitar. You can teach her how to work with computers. You can teach her how to play golf or whatever it is that's important to her. Education is another way to protect and provide. Anyway, get the book. There's 20 different ways. If you think you're going to win her over at 5-3 and be a lazy ass and sit on the couch, it's not going to work. You got to solve that problem in the first 90 days and then, then you're okay. Then you're going to be okay. So going back to the 5 and the confidence, okay, this is one of the reasons why Chad and Tyrone and Chung do so well because a lot of these guys are good looking dudes, but they have a lot of confidence, but like they don't really have any prospects. A lot of the Chads and Tyrones don't really have a lot of education and they're just covered in tats, but they ooze confidence. So going back to this guy who's 5'3", certainly if he has a lot of money, that would help. But like you said, like I've done counseling calls with a lot of Indian tech guys and these guys are making easy six digit salary, but a lot of them lack confidence, right? And so a woman, though she might be attracted to the fact that he makes money and can provide that security, they don't have, I guess, game, charisma, confidence. Right. Can those things be taught into a man, in your opinion? Absolutely. In fact, the first chapter of my book, that's what we talk about is how to build confidence. Mistakenly, a lot of guys think you build your confidence with women. No, you have to have the confidence before you get there. So that chapter goes into how to build the confidence if you don't have any. Primarily what I say is most guys find their confidence gene through work, through a hobby, through passion. So what you do is you pick a topic that you have somewhat affinity for, that you're already somewhat good at, and you practice it. You practice it at least an hour a day or five hours a week or whatever it is. And with time, you get better and better until you get to like expert level at whatever that endeavor is, whether it's golf or guitar or computers or like whatever your issue is, get supremely good at it. And then when you meet with women, you have that inner confidence. It will ooze out of you and you don't have to do anything extra. But a lot of guys today think they're just going to sit on the couch and play video games all day and the confidence is going to fall from the sky. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, oh, let I me say something with the bad guys too. Okay. It's not that women like bad qualities or bad guys. No. The reason why we like them is because it seems like they're the only guys today that have confidence. Right. That's yeah. what we crave. Just like you guys crave the looks, 70% hip to waist show looks. 
we crave the confidence. Exactly. So unfortunately, he happens to have cats and a motorcycle and this and that and the other. So it's not necessarily those attributes. It's more the fact that he got confidence. And that's what we crave. I would agree with that because you've seen the last two, three generations, but starting the last 20 years, how the effeminization of men and the masculinization of women. Like I can go to the gym. Like today I went to the gym and you see these women who have deltoids and they're all like roided up. And, and like yeah. men are not attracted to them. Men don't want to fuck a man. Right. Right. And so with the women, you're right. Chad and Tyrone are like the last bastion of masculinity because so many men have been so wussified, pussified. It's either single moms or what they get from the media. They're all like overly obsequious, sensitive beta types. And women don't want that. Women want masculine men. Men want feminine virtue signaling women. And it's been like this since the time immemorial. And it's like we've kind of lost that picture. And I think it's been exacerbated too by media by feminism and all these things. Because deep down, we still want what we wanted back in the day. It's just everything is topsy-turvy. Absolutely. I think people are listening way too much to the media. I think mainstream media and social media is way too powerful today. And it's just packed with a bunch of lies. It's oh, absolutely right. not true. One of the most common phrases that I hear from women is, oh, I want a sensitive guy. I want a guy who can cry. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, that's the biggest lie there is. Right. The right. minute she walks away from you and she and her girlfriends are at the bathroom, they are putting you on blast. Yeah. And I tell my guys, do not cry for at least 90 days. Oh, yeah. Now, don't show vulnerability. Don't, don't share intimate thoughts because all those things right. you think are attractive traits I think women like it when they can pry out some vulnerability from you. But I think it benefits men to be more like John Wayne, being right. laconic, don't speak a lot, master a skill, don't over emote, don't speak too much. And then on occasion, when the moment is necessary, be vulnerable because she'll feel like she brought that out of you and she'll right. feel like, oh, I'm special. I brought it out of him. We have a caller. Go ahead, Stephen. Hey, Greg, can you hear me? Yeah, just talk as loud as you can. Go ahead. Comment on the thing where she commented about being 5'3 and the whole you just need to have confidence thing. Just have confidence, bro. And this is something we've heard a thousand times in the Red Pill Manosphere. You have all these PUA guys, Richard, you know, Cooper, all these guys just saying, you know, just have confidence, bro. It's all about having confidence. But the thing is, women go for looks and height the most. If you don't look the part, she's not going to respect you when you try to play the part, okay? And the thing is, if a woman doesn't respect the way you look, or your looks don't match up to what she believes she can pull in, she can deserve, you know, yeah. from, you know, approaches, dating apps, whatever, then she's just going to see you as creepy. Just for the average man to just have confidence, bro, that's extremely dangerous for men, because... If she sees you as creepy because it doesn't matter if she's saying the right things, if you don't look the part and she doesn't respect you because you're trying to play the part but not looking the part, then that can land you in legal trouble with, you know, false rape allegations and all that stuff, and then you're screwed as a man. So that's an extremely dangerous thing to tell the average man. Okay, well, let's let Linda answer that question. I would agree, like, I think women like to be hit on because it feeds their narcissism, but they want to be hit on by men that they see attractive. So... I think it's a little disingenuous when women say, oh, I don't like to be catcalled. I don't want to be objectified. They just want to be objectified by the right guy. And as Steven mentioned, if it's some creepy guy who's 5'3", maybe not attractive, 
right, then she's not going to like that. It's unwarranted. And then if this happens at work, let's say a guy just says, hey, you look nice in that dress, right? If it's a good looking guy or a guy she she trusts, she's like, oh, thank you. But if it's creepy guys, like, ooh, I, I like the way you look in that dress, one phone call away to HR and you can get fired. But go ahead, Linda. What's your take on when he said that they, they're looking for heights and look, and if you don't have that, you just come off as creepy? Okay, so let me address the looks. I think most guys think that women are looking for looks. And as I said earlier, that is not true. Not true. It's in the top 10, not the number one quality. So just because it's men's number one quality that men look for, mm -hmm. it's not true that women look for that quality. With regard to height, take a look at Kevin Hart. He's five foot four. Okay. Okay. But there's a lot of things that men who are shorter do, and I call this compensation, right. that he happens to use the comedy gene. You don't always have to use that. Like I say, in my book, there's 20 different ways that you can compensate and provide for that woman to get her over that hurdle, that over that confidence hurdle. So there are ways and techniques that a guy can compensate for okay. the lack of height. Without knowing anything, she's going to go for the guy with height because, like I say, more apt to pull her out of danger. But shy of that, there are ways around that. If I can interject, going back to Kevin Hart. So, okay, so Kevin Hart can get the beautiful model. His wife is gorgeous and he can get laid any, any time and same for NBA athletes and all these, because they have status. If you have a guy that looks like Tom Cruise or like Kevin Hart, who's walking the street, who's five, three, he just isn't going to get the P Linda. They get the P because they're famous and they have status and women are attracted to men with status. Women want to be with men that other men want to hang out with and other women want to F. And all these celebrities have that quality. That's why if you look at like, we're, we're the same age, look at the 1970s rock stars. Look at the guys from like Boston and Journey. Ugly as sin, but they could get laid at any town because they had status and they yeah, definitely they had a talent, they had a skill, but they have status. So I think to use Kevin Hart is a little disingenuous because he's famous. I mean, the typical guy who's 5'3", five, 5'4", five, on the street. Yes, you're right. I think he will have compensation issues and so forth. But I would say that women do look at height and looks. I would say it's in the top 10, but I think it's height for sure, I think is in the top five because I think it goes into their wiring. If I breed with this tall man, my children will be taller. Also, taller men can protect me better. I agree with that. If the girl doesn't know anything else about the guy, going to evaluate height. Absolutely. Is she going to evaluate looks? No. But is she going to evaluate height? Yes. For, for Like I say, because in general, guys are bigger, badder, stronger, faster than we are. And height kind of plays into a quality that she needs for protection. There are ways around it. Tom Cruise, who is 5'7", Kevin Hart, who is 5'4", they weren't always famous. Day one, they had to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. So Tom decided to hang outside of a plane, one of his MI movies. You know, that's how he gets his compensation factor in. And Kevin Hart decided to use comedy as his compensation factor. So both of these guys started somewhere, just like your caller has to start somewhere. And like I was saying earlier, take something that you already have you know, a predisposition for and just Expand on it. Just keep working it, working it until you're at expert level in that area. 
I, I would agree with that. I think there's absolutely no harm and only bent, only good things can come from that. And that's part of being MGTOW is to self-optimize. Now, let us l- let me ask you this. If we have a beautiful, somewhat virtuous 25-year-old woman, peak SMV, what are the top five traits she is looking for in a suitable marriage partner? Let's say she doesn't want to ride the carousel like a lot of 20-somethings do. <laughs> what is she looking for? Well, and this whole, tr- this is what my book is about, but it holds true with any category of women. In fact, a lot of my men use these tips for business feelings for, they might have a female boss even. But in my book, based on my academic research, I boiled it down to four traits. In other words, if the guy exhibits these four traits, he can win over any woman, anywhere, anytime. It doesn't matter her geography, education level, socioeconomic level, doesn't matter. These are biological traits that he must accomplish. Wow. Okay, let's hear it. Let's hear so it. We talked a lot about confidence. Confidence is all number one. That's number one. Number two is what I call connect with her. You've got to find commonality. You've got to overlap in certain areas, and that makes her feel accepted and bonded to you. So number two is connect with her. Number three is caring. You have to give a rip. If you don't give a rip, put put that fish back in the ocean and keep fishing. So that translates, even though you might not be saying anything, but non-verbally, physically, that translates whether a guy does or does not care or give a rip about this person. And number four, see the players know to do one, two, and three. And number two and number three, number two is connect with her and caring. They do disingenuously. They know they have to do it, but they're lying. They're lying about caring about you. They're lying about finding in common because they want to get laid. So they're lying. And the confidence they already have. So that's good. So the difference that separates a good guy from a player and a guy that will win versus a player is they don't have, the players don't have tip number four which I call character. So meaning walk the walk, talk the talk, do what you say, in business, just be a person, a man with integrity. And you will win out over the guy who is the player because the players don't have that quality because they're lying already with regard to number two and three. Okay, so a 25-year-old, I'm trying to think of an actress who's 25-year-old who's really beautiful, but let's just think of... um... I don't know, Gigi Hadid, the, the blonde supermodel. Yeah. She's attractive. Okay. So you're saying you can get, or any man can get Gigi Hadid if if she he, he can connect to her, be confident, show that he cares. Right. And, and what was the fourth have one? character. And have character. So not, I'm sure men listening will say that there's nothing there about money. There's nothing there nope. about status. There's nothing there about good facial symmetry. There's nothing there about having a a nice body. Right, absolutely. And mistakenly, the public thinks that women go after money. That's not true. So it's what the money represents. So a person, a man who has money, maybe he's the CEO now, or maybe he's really good at the stock market or however he amassed his money. It's not the money. It's what the money represents. He had to have a shit pile of confidence in order to get the money. That's what she's attracted to. So there's a difference. It's it's what so you, the money. You don't think 
you don't think they're necessarily attracted to men with money because it taps into their inherent need for security that goes back to their Paleolithic time. Because it, now it, it does, it does, but it's more so the confidence factor because there are men who inherit money and they're just weenie and they end up losing the money in two years or their lottery or actually let's take lottery winners. Almost all lottery winners lose the money in two years. So it's not the fact that you just got the money today. It's what is your confidence outlook with regard to taking that money and making even something more with it, you know, buying apartment buildings or, you know, investing it in some way. It's your acumen. It's what you do with the money that is attractive, that is sexy to a woman. Okay. So I think there's going to be a lot of people who disagree with you. Hopefully they'll call in because it's better. It's easier to, to, to articulate it by, by voice than by text. But yeah. I, I, I want to ask, um, Oh my God, I just lost my train of thought. Um, the money worth. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So let's go back to, to alpha seed beta need. I'm, I'm sure you're, you're, you might be familiar with that term. I would attest that, a woman who's 25, Gigi Adid, is going to yeah. be looking for a man. And I'm not going to disagree. They, they like men with character and they can connect with. But I think they're going to look for a man who is good looking because they want to breed. And they rather breed with a good looking dude who's tall than Quasimodo. I think I think most people would agree with that. Yeah. And they want to um, ideally have a high sexual market value guy. Now, what is a high sexual market value guy? Typically, it's going to be a guy who is the leader in his his craft, whatever it be, or he's a high-level CEO. He tends to be good-looking. We think of like Christian Gray from 30 Shades of Gray, right? He yeah. is a high SMV man because he's good-looking and he's super rich and something like that. So I you, you can't, I, I mean, you have to admit that women want to breed with a good-looking guy, right? Ideally, if they can get a guy who is good-looking and some of those other non-tangible qualities that you mentioned, that's who they want to breed with. I mean, women aren't going to intentionally seek out ugly men. Yes, they are. They will. They are. It's a man's job to determine breeding. So they're going to seek out an ugly man. I'm speaking, if, if, I'm speaking inherently, um, you know, biologically speaking, men are the ones that are worried about what she looks like, hip to waist ratio. You know, is, is my offspring going to be healthy? Are they going to be bigger and stronger and better than I am? Men are consumed with that inherently. Right. Women care less. Let's take a look at, you know, uh, hashtag me too, the Weinstein guy. Have you ever seen his wife? She's an ex-wife now. She's beautiful. She's Georgina Chapman. Gorgeous. Meanwhile, yeah. he's the ugliest guy on earth. Right. He's fat. He's like a troll. He's like, a, who knows how he got all these women to have gorgeous women to have sex with him. Well, women don't care what you look like. So it's just, um, there are often many guys who are short, fat, dumpy, and ugly and get these supermodels that are with these ugly guys. So I have to respectfully say, I just, Okay, so going back to Harvey Weinstein really fast. Now, if Harvey Weinstein was the dude that works at my deli down the street, he wouldn't have been able to bang Ashley Judd and Georgina Chapman and Salma Hayek and all these alleged affairs that he had. 
the reason he was able to get those women is because he was in a position of power. And when you're in a position okay, of power, so get in a position of power. Right, right. So, I mean, I, I don't think anyone can deny that you can look around and you'll see beautiful women with unattractive men. Okay, because the dynamic is she's getting something out. We know what he's getting out of it, but she's getting typically the the money and the status. She's not going to be with an ugly guy if the ugly guy is broke. It doesn't matter if he's nice right. and they connect and all that. He needs to bring status and money. You're not this is why hypergamy exists, right? So if if you have a guy who's a good guy and sweet guy but he's a garbage collector, Jija Hadid is not going to go after the garbage collector even though they might have commonality and they might connect. I agree with you. Yes. There, there's got to be compensating factors there. Yes, absolutely. I agree with you on that. Okay. Let's go through the comments, guys. Super chat it up. If you have any questions, um, please. Like, I, I, you know who Dennis Quaid is. Dennis Quaid, yes. I did a video on him. He recently married a 27-year-old, and this is his fourth marriage. Wow. And, and uh, you know, I mean, it's it's tale as old as time, right? Older man, younger woman. He's getting yeah. the, the fertility and beauty. She's getting the 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 status, the access to money, and that right. kind of lifestyle she otherwise would not have had. Let's see. People who play video games all day have an escapist mentality and don't have much interest in the dating game from my perspective. Yeah, right. I mean, that's yeah. kind of what we would call incels, kind of an incel mentality. I can't tell you the number of guys that I talk to who are in this category just thinking that this rough, gorgeous woman is going to fall from the sky. I'm like, dude, get out of the house. It's like, how is this going to happen? Well, you kind of see with fat women too. Like we, we see this trope in rom-coms. If this person really saw how great my personality is, they'll, they'll come around like, uh, you belong right. with me, the Taylor Swift song. You know, one day they're going to wake up and see me, even though I'm very fat or very broke in a guy's case, uh, they're going to wake up and see me. No, they won't. No, they won't. Unfortunately, they won't. Yeah. In most cases. Right. No, I mean, look, I mean, with open hypergamy, you're going to, well, let's talk about the 80-20 rule. We can talk about 80-20 rule in online dating, but uh, even ugly people do get married, at least in the past they do. So you you see like all the men messaging the 20%, 10% of the most beautiful women on Match or eHarmony or wherever. But typically they're not going to get a response, right? Because either they don't have those tells that the high SMV woman wants. So they work their way down. Typically, this is the way at least it used to be, right? You work your way down until you found a woman that was roughly on your SMV equivalent and then you would marry and then you would go from there. Do you still see that dynamic around or do you think things have changed with dating and swipe apps where people aren't settling for somebody in their looks quotient anymore? I, I agree that you probably, as a guy, you're probably going to start with your top lookers first and work your way down. You know, and I, I think that still holds true today. Um, and then there are some apps that are the other direction where the woman has to reach out to the guy first. Is, is it Bumble or something? I, I think. Yeah. So, you know, one of the apps that have turned the tables to where she has to reach out to you first. So I, I, a lot of my guys say they like Bumble for that very reason, that it takes the pressure off of, off of them. 
Okay, and so I guess they can always say no. The guy can always say no. Right. But it's nice to have the tables turned. But in most cases, guys don't say no. I mean, the way we're wired is we want to spread our seeds. So I think guys tend to be much less picky when it comes to women. And any female attention, they're going to try to use that to get into her pants. Whereas, you know, women have to be a little more selective, I feel like, in terms of, of breeding because they have to carry that child and then take care of it for 18 years. So you, you kind of see that schematic. There's there's 10 men and she's going to pick one, you know, the, the best quality one. And then the opposite is there's one guy and he's going to spread his seeds with 10 women of various looks and, and so forth. So go into online dating. How would you recommend a man write his profile for like Tinder? Let's say, you know, 180 words or, you know, something relatively short. What should he communicate in his profile that makes him look attractive to women? Well, first and foremost, I would hit on, lightly hit on those what I call the four C's, the confidence, connect with her, caring, and, and uh, uh, character. So um, outside of that, there's a lot more that you can do. Pictures, right now, everybody is in all social media is based on pictures. So I can't tell you the amount of horrible pictures that guys take that they think it's good. <laughs> so um, I think, generally speaking, guys like to look at female pictures, full body pictures, because right. they got to see that hip to waist ratio. They got to see the whole picture. Sure. Women are the other way around. They only want to see your face because they only want to like evaluate what kind of personality do you have. By personality, I mean confidence level and some of these other factors that I'm talking about. So don't back up two miles away to take the picture. Zoom in and show something that shows your face, show something that shows your expression and your personality. Um, I think that's probably what's going to flag her attention more than anything. And then get somebody to help you write the copy. Uh, I know most guys, when they're going through the apps, they're not reading the copy at all. But no, women but are the other way around. Women do read the guy's copy, whatever you read bio or what have you so make it fresh make it attractive and have have somebody help you with it yeah i would agree when it comes to men we just look at face shot body shot face shot body shot you know we can right. like in a millisecond we can gauge whether or not you're attractive and it's funny because on those dating profiles if you only see face shots especially zoomed in with a lot of filters and no body shots then you know of course She's trying yeah. to hide something. And it's notorious for both sexes to post older pictures of themselves uh, right. when they tend to be better looking. So good pictures, good lighting. And then in the, in, in, the, in the writing of it, demonstrate confidence. Now, you wouldn't necessarily demonstrate, write something like, I'm very wealthy. I travel a lot. I have a sports car. You know, like very kind of what, what would be perceived to be status kind of symbols. Do you think that's counterproductive or you think if you do have those things, you should mention those things? I think it's kind of counterproductive. And if you have to go out of your way to say what your um, possessions are, you're bragging. And I don't really believe in bragging. A lot of times when the person is bragging, they're lying. So it's better for those types of things to come out organically. Like, like the picture already has you with the picture, you know, that you're, you know, visiting Italy or whatever it is. 
know, so rather than bragging about it and talking about it, it's already communicated in the picture somehow, subtly, but it's already part of the picture. I don't, I don't believe in bragging. Like if you have, if you truly have somebody who is very good looking or well to do or has a particular high IQ, like whatever his attribute, positive attribute is, those type of people don't have to brag about it because they already are it. So you would let that ooze out of your part of your uh, inner confidence, right? You don't have to talk about it. So I would say, no, don't talk about it. Well, it's difficult, though, on a profile, on a swipe profile to show your inner confidence um, without uh, maybe articulating it. But like, let's say some guy has a, a 129 IQ, 138 IQ. Would it be wrong for him to write, I'm 6'4", 138 <laughs> IQ, love to travel, well-educated, something like that? No, I would I would flip it the other way around and do what's called connect with her. So look at something in her profile or on her picture or whatever, and maybe in her picture she has, she's holding a glass of red wine and say, hey, um, I happen to like red wine too. So or I just visited Napa or like whatever it is. Take, Find something in the picture that you can connect with. Sure. Start talking about that. That's when you're going to get mileage. Um, oh, one thing to not do, and I, I get this incessantly, don't say hi. Don't say hello. Don't say hi, um, good looking, or don't compliment her physical attributes at all. It doesn't work. It's creepy. She already gets a thousand guys saying, hi, gorgeous, hi, beautiful. It's, it's overdone and it's not getting you any mileage. What gets you mileage, find something in the bio or in the picture that you can comment on that you have in common with her. That's what's going to get you. Now, we know like on, on sites like Match and eHarmony, women are inundated, even like a moderately attractive woman is going to be inundated with lots of messages from men of all age ranges, right? You got the 70-year-olds down to the 20-year-olds, the and they're getting messaged every day, right? So if you're yeah. just the common guy and you post the you know, message and you don't say just hi, you know, something like that, you come up with something clever or, you know, what's your favorite type of wine because you're noticing she's drinking wine. Is that really going to separate him from the, you know, 90 to 95 messages that she's getting a day? If you're not necessarily demonstrating good facial symmetry or, or height, I mean, I think because she gets, like I say, she's getting a thousand people saying, hi, beautiful. Right. So if you're the thousandth and one person who's also saying that it's like oh it's a big who cares no matter it's she's almost like swiping and going on to the next candidate because she gets too much of that so you've got to do something that sets yourself apart from that and by that i say do the connect with me thing because that's different it means that you actually paid attention and you're doing something you're saying something that brings you closer together that the two of you actually have in common. I think it's important to demonstrate wit because wit is an indication of intelligence. 
and it, I think an indication to a certain extent of high IQ. So if you can be, especially on the first date, right? If you can demonstrate wit and humor and intelligence, I think that's attractive for a woman. But like a lot of a lot of guys here, that I, I think they're being, you know, maybe maybe cynical, maybe not. But this guy, they only read if there is a six foot uh, or plus in the profile. I will say, look, I mean, the good thing about male sexual market value is we can change our sexual market value. So if a man's not making a lot of money, he can work on that. The man's not necessarily in shape. He can work on that. If the man suffers from rampant alcoholism, he can theoretically fix that. So I think there are things that benefit a man in terms of making them look more attractive. Whereas unfortunately for women, it's a ticking time bomb where eventually the wall is going to hit. And yeah, I mean, they can work on their personality, but men really don't care about the personality. I mean, they can work on their wit and humor and be more well-read, but really men really don't care about that, that either. So I would tell men, it's like, yeah, I mean, look, if you're born 5'7", yeah, maybe that's not ideal. You weren't born with the, the great genetic gene pool necessarily, but don't let that make you defeatist. And don't let that make you become complacent and just sit on your laurels and be like, I'm never going to get a woman. Because, I mean, there I, I know guys in my neighborhood who are short and they have attractive wives. So, I mean, there are ways to overcome that. Don't don't let that be the reason for you to be self-defeating and just be like, oh, I'm just going to eat Hot Pockets and play video games all day. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the wit thing is important. It's fun to, like, have banter and have the sexual innuendo without really being sexual and just be playful and lighthearted, I think that'll get you a lot of mileage. It's, it's not necessarily that you need to be a comedian. You don't need to take it to that extreme, but just to have double entendres and have that innuendo thing going, I think women love that. So I would say yes to that one. Uh, with regard to the to height, you know what? Your listeners should watch, should listen to my show from a couple of weeks ago. I had a guest on my show who's actually going to be suing one of um, dating apps and on height discrimination because, I mean, it was horrendous all the things that he told me on that show of what's going on and how, you know, you're not allowed to be discriminatory if the person is black or, or on race or on, you know, 20 different subjects. You're not, you're, everybody has to be PC, but for some reason or another in today's um, world, a woman can be discriminatory flat out to the guy's face um, with regard to height and it's not right. <laughs> so um, I, I think he has a really solid case and it was a very eye opening um uh, show that we did, and I invite your listeners to listen to this couple of weeks ago called Height Discrimination. What I've seen on the stats on height, you know, there's that phenomenon called heightism, and it looks like men who are taller, and again, this isn't surprising, and, and you can you can rebuke this, but the men who are taller tend to get paid more in their job. I think there was some study I saw, like for every inch they make an extra X and X amount of money, typically. Yeah. They tend to breed better because they can attract better looking, higher quality maids. And they tend to be judged as more competent as opposed to, let's say Danny DeVito walks into a room. Let's say he's a teacher. Danny DeVito yeah. walks into a room. The kids are automatically not going to think he's competent just because he's short. 
But then if you got somebody who walks in like uh, Chris Hemsworth or just, you know, some guy who's really, you know, six, three, let's say not like freakishly tall, but a six, three guy walks in, he gets the benefit of the doubt that he's competent simply because he's tall. Yes. And employers, you're right. Employers discriminate also based on height, the mm-hmm. job or the promotion will go to somebody who is tall. So it's not just women who are discriminating. Employers do it too. Would you say that, that employers, will hire a attractive woman over a, a more qualified man simply not just to, to satiate the affirmative action and racial quota, we're woke and we're going to have more women, but yeah. because they just want to have a, a, an attractive woman that they can look at. Yes. I think if the hiring person is a man, yes, I think that happens quite often. Yeah. And you want to have that woman be the faceplate of your company. You want to have her rep. Uh, who wouldn't want a nice, pretty, attractive woman representing your company? Whether she's, you know, the front desk person, um, you know, answering the phones, or she's a salesperson or HR or whoever it is. Yes, I think that happens quite a lot. Yeah, and yeah, she I might mean- have um, severely less qualities and uh, qualifications than her you know, than her male counterpart. But yeah, I think she will get hired. Her looks will get hired over possibly a guy who's more qualified. Yeah, that's why that's why men get upset sometimes because, you know, there's that, there's that saying women are human beings, men are human doers. You know, we have to earn our sexual market value. Women, if they're blessed with beauty, uh, the, the whole world can be served to them on a platter and they yeah. don't necessarily deserve it. But it definitely makes sense for companies to put attractive receptionists or have attractive women because that's also going to bring in more perhaps men who want to work there because they see there's a lot of eye candy there. Um, so Stephen wrote jawline equals personality. Chad, <laughs> Chad doesn't need to say more than hi. Chad could be a child molester and women will justify their way into his bed. Right now we talk about, we talk about foodie calls. So I'm curious, Linda, what's your take on men paying for meals? Because, you know, we joke like Chad and Tyrone will say, you know, which, pick me up some Taco Bell and get over to my, my, you know, low rent ghetto apartment. But for other men, they're making men take them out for nice dinners or do a concert. And these men are spending so much money. And that woman might not even want a second date, but women who are relatively attractive or even averagely attractive can set up dates all week with these simpish men who don't know what's going on. So, I mean, what's your take on foodie calls and what do you think men should do? Yeah, in terms of that? good question. Um, I can't tell you the number of women that I listen to who only go out with the guy because of the $200 date, the $200 dinner. Right. Um, and they go out with people they are, that they're absolutely not interested in. The person yeah. is short, bald, ugly, fat, whatever the deal is. But they're still going to say yes because they want that $200 dinner. Right. Gold diggers. So to the guy, the advice that I give to the guy is never, never go on a fancy dinner on a first date. The first date should just be a meet and greet. It should be one hour or less. And it should be something very simple. The, the best first date is probably just over cocktails. Because after work, you're in the right frame of mind. You're, in, you're already in relaxation mode. And it should just be, do we click or not? You know, the fancy dinners and the concerts and, you know, all the high ticket things 
she should earn those things. And that should come with time, not right out of the gate. That should be gate number four, five, or six, or whatever. So in the beginning stages, keep it simple. Um, when you do finally go out to dinner, keep it like under, I don't know, 40 bucks or something like that. Keep it simple. Let her earn the fact that she, uh, you know, she's with you or that you're spending money on her. I think I think a lot of men, especially men who lack confidence or maybe they're not attractive, want to inundate her with the expensive meal and the concerts and all that because they're trying to win her over. But I think they fail to understand some just basic principles of intersexual dynamics. But I, I can see why they do it, right? Like if I buy her yeah. this jewelry and win her over, like if you've seen the old uh, 80s movie, Some Kind of Wonderful, it's one of the John Hughes movies. Uh, yeah. Eric Stoltz likes Leah Thompson, who's the popular girl. And so on their first date, he 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 go he he paints a painting of her, and he gets the the museum, the art museum locked down, and uh, he has her painting, his painting of her put up, and she sees it, and uh, you know expensive meal, expensive jewelry, and all this, and yeah, you're right. I think the woman should earn it. The the, the other question though about first dates is why? What's wrong with the principle of always going Dutch? Well, it kind of goes against the protect provide thing. I think it's fun to go Dutch some of the time. Um, all the time, I don't know. I mean, maybe there are other qualities that woman that the woman can bring to the table. Maybe it's not money or paying for the dinner, but there should be other qualities that she can compensate for. In other words, maybe you've taken her out to a medium price dinner and the next time around on the next day, she invites you over for dinner. Maybe she cooks dinner or what have you, or maybe she uh, orders takeout or what have you. So it should be a compensating factor. I don't know if it's exactly Dutch. I don't know if that's very romantic, but you know, if it works yeah. for you, great. <laughs> but, but see, here's the thing. The, the issue with foodie calls is there are a lot of men who are manipulated by these women, and the woman will be like, yeah, we'll do a second date. Yeah, we'll do a third date, because she wants all these meals. And it's understood, right? If a man's paying for the meal, if not on the first or second date, that the expectation is that she needs to do a little quid pro quo, right? And put out or, you know, give yeah. them some sort of sexual favor. I mean, that's just the nature of dating, right? But yeah. there are a lot of women who can just string this along, string this beta guy along. And if you're the beta guy and you're spending all this money and you're not getting anything out of it, then that that's my issue with it. And, and the other issue is, of course, women are always saying that they want to be treated the same. But at the same time, they want to fall back on how they want a chivalrous uh, kind of quixotic guy who pays for their meals. They want to have it both ways. And to me, it's like either be one or the other. And you can't be this chameleon that is always switching back and forth when it's convenient for her. But I understand from your point of view and Mira, who's our token woman here, she'll say it too. It's like if you're not paying for the dates, uh, you look cheap. And you're you're not really tapping in to her need to uh, her need to see that you are the 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 hyper masculine male who's taking care of her. And I can get it from the female point of view, but from the male point of view, and since this is a man's channel, I I tend to tell men to be very weary, those who are dating or doing short term relationships or whatever, to be to be weary about paying all the time because it's just such a slippery slope to get easily manipulated by these women. 
I agree. And as a guy, if the only thing that's in your toolbox is to pay, then I don't know. I, I think that's a cheap out as well. Um, some of my most favorite dates I've ever taken didn't involve money at all. I mean, little or no money. And then the guy has to get really creative on what can I do with this date other than take her out for a $200 meal. For example, one date that's really memorable to me, the guy said, uh, sunset is at eight. Let's meet on the sand at so-and-so lifeguard station at 7.30. Um, he's like, you bring the lawn chairs. I'll bring the wine and cheese. I mean, oh, it was $20. It was highly romantic, very, very uh, a high degree of connection. It showed a lot of versatility on his end. Oh, didn't cost but anything. So um, take nature, take what you already have. Maybe you don't live near a beach. Maybe you live near a lake or like whatever it is. Take what's already in your neighborhood and make the most out of it. It doesn't always have to be about a fancy date. If that's all you have in your toolbox, you know, you're not creative. Yeah, there's that saying. It's like when, when a kid says, I'm bored. Then the, the parent will say, well, it's because you're boring, right? If, if, if you are creative right. enough, you can find things to do that would make you never be bored. Um, there's a comment here from Saeed. He says, the size of the <laughs> banana matters more. Um, I mean, what, what what's your take on that? Do you think women care about penis size or is it more like it's not the size of the stick, but the magic of the wand? Or what, what's your take on, on uh, sexual prowess? Once a woman has sex with a guy, does that really matter a lot in terms of her wanting to stay with that guy based on whether or not he was good or bad? Okay, so if the woman doesn't know anything about the guy, height is a factor. So let's translate this into the male member. If she doesn't know anything else. All we have to go on is length. Guess what? The good news is the most, you know, just like hip to waist ratio, the most optimal length for a guy six inches. And guess what? 85% of you are six inches. You have nothing to worry about. Now, if you're less than five inches, it might be a problem. So the less than five inch guys, they're going to have to compensate in some other way. They're going to have to really get good with oral or with their fingers or with toys or, or position, sexual positions can enhance how you feel inside of her. So you're going to have to compensate. So I would say for most of you guys, 85% of you guys don't need to worry. You got, you guys are worrying over nothing. If we want to split hairs even further, it is not the length that matters and not that you have any control over this. Right. It's the girth that matters. Meaning not that they have any control that, over that either. <laughs> I know that's what I'm saying. But I mean, if you had a magic wand and you could ask the fairy godmother, you know, should I go for length or girth? Don't go for the seven meter. Instead, go for the girth. Because she wants to be that space, that opening. She wants it filled. to build up. So there, there have been guys who are seven inches, but they're really thin. You know, like, you know, ballpark hot dog thin. And it's no fun because she doesn't feel she doesn't feel filled up. So again, not that you can do anything about it. I guess if you had something to do about it, 
um, your penis size has to do with vascularity. So to those guys, I would say, make sure you're eating a healthy diet, not too much junk food, right. um, work out at the gym. You want to do anything and everything that you can to make sure your vascularity, your heart health is in good right. shape. Right. And it's stay- not in good shape, it will negatively affect your penis performance Absolutely. and size. Absolutely. And yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, being overweight in itself makes your penis look smaller. Uh, but yeah, definitely you want to <laughs> eat well and get that natural testosterone. And yeah, absolutely. Now, I would going back to what you said about connecting with the woman. See, yeah. this is one of the, the problems with banging a woman on the first date if you are not with the girth or the size is since yeah. she has no connection with you, if you are not super spectacular in bed or with your member, she's much more likely to be like, I'm out. But if you've been dating this woman and you have a connection with her or she's in love with you or whatever, and then if you have the same issue, you don't have the girth or the size, she's more likely to kind of overlook it because she already has a connection with you. Absolutely. Yes. I agree on all those counts. Yes. All right. So let's let's talk about... Um, Which tells the- you how important the connection is. So that, that's number two that you need to solve is connect with her. So yes, absolutely. But if you're, if you're Chad or Tyrone and you have a nine inch, you know, wide girth, the, the connection's not necessarily needed to, to get the, to get the woman, but, but yeah, <laughs> definitely for the common man. Yeah, I, I understand. All right. So let's talk about divorce. So women initiate divorce disproportionately. And why do you think this is? Why do you think, and depending on the studies that you look at, I've seen studies that say it's 90% of divorces are initiated by women if the woman is college educated. And yeah. just in general, it's about 70% of women initiate divorce. Do True. you think it's because of the financial incentive or do you think it's they just fall out of love because of excessive expectations and they become disenchanted? What 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 is your take on that? Uh, I agree that I, the, I think the percentages are usually like over 70% it's initiated by a woman. So I agree with you on that. The reason why, none of those reasons (laughs) that you mentioned, the reason why is because men can't be wrong. Men can't be wrong? Wrong. So if men want out of the relationship, they want out of the marriage, they're not going to be the first ones to speak up because men, the way they classify that relationship is that the man has done something wrong to create the divorce. So men can't be wrong. Even when they want out, they can't be the initiator. So some men, what they will do is they will make the situation so untenable and so uncomfortable that she still files first. And then some men go to the extreme of they cheat on her, which you know, for most women, that's not an acceptable quality. So again, the woman files first. So they will be a jerk. They'll be an a-hole. They'll do whatever it takes to get her to file first because that way they're off the hook and they don't have to deem themselves for choosing the wrong mate or making the wrong decision. Men can't be wrong. That's why they don't file first. Do you feel like most of these men who are in a divorce are wanting to be divorced and it's just they want to have the right positive narrative and allow the woman to break up with him and then they can say, oh, she broke up with me. But deep down, that's what he wanted. 
yeah, for the for the for the guys who who eventually get her to file first, yes, that's what's going on. Now, overall, do women want to get a divorce? You know, in more more frequent numbers than men, I think yes. Um, Why? I, I don't know. I, I think they're they're more interested in the personality and the connect. The connection is lost. The communication is lost. And those are qualities that are very important to a woman. Whereas for a guy, you know, the most important quality might be, you know, does she look good? Is she having frequent sex with me? They're different qualities, right? So mm -hmm. from her point of view, when the guy loses the communication factor, that's a big is a big problem for her. So just for that, you know, they're gonna quit the marriage for, for reasons like that. So Whereas would, a guy will put up with, um, oh, she's a nag, oh, she's this, and we'll right. banging her three times a week, so I'm fine. Right. I would agree with that. I think, you know, we always say that women have a higher threshold for pain in general. I think men have a higher threshold for being in stagnant, moribund uh, marriages. That men, for a variety of reasons, it could be because they don't want to divorce because they would lose a lot of money, or maybe we just tolerate sexless marriages better. A lot of men will just be like, I'm just going to run out the clock. I'm 45. Uh, yeah, I'll just tolerate her for another 20, 25 years. Now, would you not say, though, given that we have no-fault divorce, this is one of the reasons why women are divorcing disproportionately? Because prior to no-fault divorce, divorce was much rarer. Men would typically initiate it because they would want the younger wife. Think of like Don Draper for Mad Men. And women, the first wife would, of course, get the alimony and the child support, and she didn't work. So that that kind of made sense. But when it became no-fault divorce and anybody could divorce for any reason, I think that's when the numbers started flipping toward, toward women initiating it more because they understood. And I'm not saying, look, I believe men and women on their marriage night are really in love with themselves. So what happens between that marriage night and her, her mostly filing the divorce? I think it's, it's a lot of the woman projecting qualities onto the man early on in the relationship that the man necessarily did never had. These are qualities that she wanted him to have. And then throughout the marriage, she realizes that he doesn't have any of those qualities, maybe no fault of his own, or maybe even said, look, I don't have these qualities. For example, I'm not ambitious or whatever it is. And then at that point, she becomes disillusioned. And when you become disillusioned, then you start rationalizing. And then when you start rationalizing, you can rationalize having an affair because I deserve it. Or I can rationalize divorcing him and taking his money and taking his kids because, you know, if he disappointed me and so forth. What, what do you think of that? I think the sexes have different priorities and... I think another reason why women divorce so frequently is because their priority has been met. So the number one yeah. biological priority that a woman has is to pop out a kid. Right. So once she's past childbirthing age, like past 35, past 40, uh, she's done. You've, you've accomplished your, bi you meaning the male, have accomplished your biological mission of impregnating her. So right. if that if the personality traits aren't keeping her around, if the communication level and the personality level is not high enough, 
she's done with you. Stick a fork in you and she's done. That's why she divorces. But you don't think you don't think there's any financial incentive for her to divorce? Because you know how the system is set up. The woman can have the affairs yeah. and be gangbanged throughout the entire marriage, <laughs> so to speak. And then she can initiate divorce and take all of his assets, take the kids and so forth. So, I mean, you you don't, and in the old days, that wouldn't happen. If the woman was caught being adulterous, she wouldn't get a dime. She might not even get the kids. But the system is set up for her, as we mentioned at the very beginning of this live stream, to fleece the man to divorce, rape the man. So I yeah. would contend that certainly no-fault divorce has destroyed marriage, along with other factors. And it's it, it makes sense that now women initiate divorce. Now, you would say it's because there's loss of connection and, and I would I would agree with that. But if there wasn't a financial incentive for a woman to make out like gangbusters from divorce, you wouldn't see as many women divorcing. I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think our our divorce system is very lopsided and I and I rally for uh, men's legal rights in that area. I have an attorney that I work with that also um advocates in that area. But I think it's very lopsided. I think the, the laws were originally written, you know, back in the 1940s and 50s to protect women, because at that time, women weren't working. Mm -hmm. uh, with the advent of the pill in the late 60s, most of the women uh, by the 1970s were working. So, you know, those laws today are just completely outdated. And right. yes, there there are a fair amount of women who get a divorce because that way they get the financial benefit of having alimony and child support, and they don't have to deal with you. So exactly. they don't have all the negative parts of the guy. They just get the good parts, which is the financial, and they're on their merry way. Precisely. So, I don't like it. I, I'm fighting to get those laws changed. Um, I was working with the governor in Michigan and um, she eventually, in her state, did get them changed. Um, in her state now, it is assumed and presumed 50-50 custody. With um, child support or no child support? Well, it depends on if you're making equal. If you're making equal salary, then there would be no child support. If you're making disproportionate salaries, in other words, she's making 30 grand, the guy is making 130 grand, um, you know, the DISO master would, uh, would uh, you know, you put that those numbers in the computer and it spits out what number you're going to pay. So if it's a disproportionate salary, yes, guys would pay. But the good thing is that in her state now, um, the courts presume 50-50 custody. I you have to prove to the court that somebody is unfit or that there was child abuse or spousal abuse or, or, or alcohol abuse or something like that. You have to prove otherwise. It's automatically assumed 50-50. I'm trying to get that passed in California, but good luck with that. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> so, exactly. I, I tell you over here in Texas, and I agree, I have a video here that where I say 50-50 custody uh, with no child support should actually be the default. But I, I agree, like here in Texas, like I have children, and because of my own personal, you know, mistakes and poor ch choice making, I have I pay fifty percent to child support because I have three kids from my ex-wife, and then I had uh, a, 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 a fiance, uh, a yeah. rebound fiance afterwards, and I had a child with her. So I I pay fifty percent to child support, and um, I feel like fifty fifty should be the default because it really benefits 
everybody because the kid gets to see the dad more. The yeah. dad, the dad gets to see the kid from one, you know, two weekends a month to fourteen days, and then the woman gets some time off. Hold on one second. But my issue is, so I think 50-50 should be the default unless you can prove that the guy is a, you know, a molester or something like that. Yeah. I think it should be with no child support simply because, look, and I understand if he's making 500K and she's making 30K, I can kind of get why he should continue to pay it to a certain extent. But I feel like you're still giving her money to be taking care of a kid 27 days of the month, but she's only having the kid 14 days a month. And so it's like you're almost rewarding her by doing that. And I feel it's like it, it, you should pay for whatever the expenses are for the 14 days you have the kid. She should pay for the 14 days she has the kids. If the kids are in daycare, you know, you do week to week and you each pay for the week of daycare. And to me, that's the fair thing because, again, why? It, to me, it's not fair if a man is paying child support and he's got to pay for the expenses during those 14 days as well. It feels like the woman's getting her cake and eating it too. I, I just feel like it should be with no child, no, no child support. All right. We have a call here. Go ahead. Hey, no, I wanted to ask Linda what her take was on Japan's urban war movement where 70% of men have no interest in having sex, yeah. engaging in relationships. And, um, and I think that it's kind of a, you know, it's a, like important of what is going to take place in the West, much like the black community and lack of fatherhood and single mothers. And, um, you know, it, it's going to have some severe economic uh, consequences when you're not, you know, developing households and generating wealth and men are going to go their own way. So anyway, I was just curious what her take was on that and, and how that relates to Western society. Yeah, you see that problem with Japan that the government is trying to give so many incentives for for men and for couples to have children because they're having a demographic winner over there. I mean, the 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 population that's geriatric is gigantic compared to the to the younger generation that would be generating the economy. So yeah, it's a major problem. Linda, are you familiar with the herbivore movement over in Japan? No. So it's essentially men kind of like MGTOW men here. And I think maybe some of their inspiration of MGTOW over here started with Japan. It's just a movement. Uh, and you can correct me, caller. So the carnivores is the term that they use for men who work and do the nine to five and they do the grueling jobs in Japan. And then the, the herbivore men are the men who've disengaged from that. And they essentially stay home, play video games, don't want to have sex. And they've completely disengaged from women and therefore have no interest to Re reproduce. Would, Caller, would that be a, a decent assessment of what herbivore movement is? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. The only other thing I would add is that culturally, uh, a man or traditionally would, would work 60, 70 hours a week and then he would give the full amount to his wife and he would get a small stipend to go out and have drinks with his friends or <laughs> after work. And so, I mean, he literally is a wage slave to his wife. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I see there's a lot of similarity between the gynocentrism and feminism here today where women expect for a man to do all the hard labor to generate the income without any of the benefit. And the young men of Japan have seen their fathers, their uncles, their grandfathers and said, you know, why? What benefit? Yeah. yeah. So are you saying you're advocating just sitting on a couch and playing video games that why bother, you know, uh, investing in a relationship is that what is that what you're asking? 
Well, no, just just how like in other countries and even in Ireland, when Ireland did away um, or allowed for uh, abortions, the marriage rate plummeted, the birth rate plummeted. Um, and so, you know, what, what we're seeing is, you know, because they're a very, you know, Catholic, uh, Christian Catholic uh, society. But once they allowed that, women, much like here in the West, decided, well, we want our cake and eat it, too. We want to have kids when we want to have them. And in Japan, they're, I think that we're seeing or we will see the same thing that's taking place in the West, where men have said the benefit to being married when all that I am is an ATM to my wife and there is no social construct that benefits uh, other than to save face. I mean, saving face is very important there, but a lot of the younger men are waking up and going, I don't want to be like my dad and work, you know, myself until uh, death. I mean, they have a Japanese term for that um, where literally you work yourself until death and women, yes, they benefit from it, but, the younger men are going, but once, once my dad passed away, my mom was on to the next person. Um, or, you know, they're, they, they're, now thankfully they're, because culturally they have a very, very low or lower divorce rate than what we do here in the West because of shame. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, and, and I do think that, I think that women today only look at shame culturally, either in the East or the West, as the only parameter that will help them correct. But we've taken away all those constructs in our Western society where they're not looked at, uh, you know, negatively. There's no stigma. Two or three. Right. Yeah, there's no parameters anymore. For them. So anyway, I was just curious. So your question to me is, you think it's a good idea that the guy you know, not engage in relationships? Is that is that your question? There's no, no benefit in it for a guy? No, it's more about how other cultures have tried this, you know, and feminism is not, I would say, a social construct in Japan, but I think that given their culture there, feminism is a byproduct of that, meaning that the woman yeah. truly is in charge of, you know, it's like, you know, Brafalt's law. You know, um, if the woman doesn't benefit, then, then there is no association with the man. But we're seeing the ramifications in less than two generations of what's taking place there. And like Greg mentioned, there's huge economic um, negative in indications of population uh, replenishment that's going to affect the economy, um, health care, um, and I just... I'm, I'm, I'm curious about how what is taking place in other countries as being a portion of what would happen here if we continue on this path and why our government or society isn't starting to look around and go, gosh, you know, we can't become like other nations with a negative birth rate. We're already below that right now here in the U.S. Well, we're below the negative birth rate, but the, the immigrants are the ones that are that are keeping our natural right. increase above positive. But you're yeah. you're right in terms of let's say the the typical white uh, population, it is dropping right through contraception and to a certain extent abortion and and so forth. Linda, yeah, do you want to I, comment I on think, this? Thank I you think, very much for calling. Thank you, caller. Um, I you know over the years, over the recent years, men are taking longer and longer to get married. Right. 
you know, I, I think it's up to age 29 now is the average male age that they get their first marriage. And women, and then, the women age is going up too, and this is affecting fertility as well. Right. And then secondarily, less men overall are getting married right. because, you know, because maybe the, the laws are not, divorce laws are not, certainly not fair. They're very lopsided. And for a whole host of reasons that a guy has to put in too much effort and the girl, it's, it's the effort is lopsided. Right. So, you know, maybe she's not having enough sex with him. Maybe she's not bringing in as much money. Maybe she's not cleaning the house as good as it could be or whatever the issue is. But the, many guys today feel that the relationship relationships are lopsided. So there is a disincentive for him to marry. And then couple that with 50% of the, the marriages, you know, fail. And, and I was mentioning earlier, guys don't like to fail. They like a forward progression. So they don't like to have that on their record that they have this, they made a bad choice, picked the wrong woman, whatever, and they fail. So, yeah, I think it is an issue. Uh, I, I think overall the trend is to depopulate. Uh, not only the country, but the world. So, um, you know, the powers that be that are in charge of those sorts of things, they're, they're kind of winning. They're not kind of winning. They are winning because they feel, some people feel that we are overpopulated as, as a world. And we, right. if we go with the growth rate, it's unsustainable that our natural resources will run out. So yeah. unfortunately, yeah. they're doing these kinds of things to depopulate the earth. Right. And I agree. This is all intentional. I remember growing up in the 70s, the Population Time, Time Bomb book by Paul Ehrlich was really big. And he was foreseeing, and he was a neo-Malthusian. And he was saying, yeah. oh, by 1990, we're not going to have enough food. And he, along with the, the eugenics movement, which kind of went underground after Margaret Sanger and, and, and you know Nazism kind of gave yeah. it a bad rap. You saw this pushed where the world is overpopulated. And my personal opinion is that it's not overpopulated at all. You're going to see a peak certainly in about next 80 years, but then there's going to be a precipitous drop in the world. And to my, my opinion, it's, it's not beneficial at all. But you do see a lot of people who believe this, and because they believe this, they think it's their moral imperative and duty to contracept, not have kids, or if I want to have kids, have one kid, or if I want a kid, I want to adopt, and all these things. And, and, and I feel like we're, we're getting uh, majorly manipulated by that. Yeah, Go I mean, back. They, do, they do have a couple of good points. Uh, the, the good points with the depopulation movement is that a lot of kids are being born today just, you know, willy nilly and haphazardly without forethought, without a two parent household. And maybe they don't have good IQs. Maybe they are not going to be contributors to society. So in that sense, I say, OK, so let's make jobs. Um, that are available that that bring back the middle class that do make people be relevant that you're not just having kids just to pop out kids but i mean if you look at the media today it seems like there's a, a ton of people that are that are uh you know having kids without the benefit of marriage multiple different fathers what i mean <laughs> but why why is that uh, why is that possible it's because we have the welfare state if we didn't have the welfare state you wouldn't see the welfare queens 
doing that and having many children by other fathers because how would they support themselves? In the old days, in the Great Depression, if you had that issue, maybe you go to churches, maybe to charitable organizations. But with yeah. the advent of the welfare state, which is never going to go away because women are the largest voting block and they tend to vote with emotion. With, with the welfare state, women don't have to make good decisions in choosing a mate, nor do they need to make a good decision staying with the mate. Their solipsism will kick in and they're just going to do what makes me feel good. They leave the man. The family's broken. Then you look at the statistics of the stepfather effect. You look at the statistics of what happens to these kids that are raised by single moms and not just like the higher rate of incarceration and teen pregnancy and all these but kids of single moms are up to 40 times more likely to be sexually and physically abused, 50 times more likely to be murdered, all these horrible stats. But you wouldn't see women leaving if there wasn't welfare because where would they get their money from, right? The man is the, the plow horse. So it's either through child support and that kind of income redistribution or it's through welfare because the men are the largest taxpayers in America. So they're essentially getting money taken from their paycheck to give to these single moms. So unless that whole system changes, you're gonna still see this, this fleecing of the man, women initiating divorce. And like you said, marriage rates are going down, cohabitation rates are going up, but you're still gonna see that phenomenon of broken kids. Yeah, but it's, it's not fair that women get to make poor decisions right. and then the rest of society has to pay for it. I mean, I would love to see a revision of welfare. I'm, I'm very much in support of helping you with a hand up when in need, but that need should not be forever. It should be six months, 12 months, whatever it is. And it should be limited to two kids. If you start popping out 10 kids, that's not my problem anymore. Lots of luck with that. And there's no welfare benefits for the third kid and beyond. So, I mean, that, that's logical. That that day will never come. Right. Welfare will never be revisited. But you know, one can hope and pray. But that that would be one way to curb it. Another way to curb it is, like Lika says, every single woman should be tested in the hospital, DNA wise, to see if that really is the father. <laughs> and right. oftentimes, it's not the father. Right, right. <laughs> so that shame, maybe that guilt will make the woman think twice of, of who she has sex with. Yeah, probably not. But false paternity is so pervasive and it's, it's so aggravating because let's say a man finds out 10 years later that his kid, the courts many times will still make him pay child support because they see it from what's the best thing for the kid. And there right. still needs to be some money going to the taking care of the kid. And the guy's like, this isn't my DNA. She cuckled at me. Why the hell should I pay? Courts don't care. Yeah, it's it's very unfair. I know. It, so, so in closing, Linda, why should men marry today? Why should a man marry today? When the whole system is lopsided, why should a man marry today? <laughs> Actually, that was the, my, my yesterday's program was, uh, was on that topic. Um, actually, men make more money when they're married. Out of all the different um, classifications of, of men, men who marry make 10 to 40% more than their single counterparts. So that would be reason number one. And the other cool thing about being married is you only have to be married once. So what I say to that guy is get married for five years, get a divorce, you never have to marry ever again. 
but the skills that you learn during marriage stay with you for a lifetime. And so does the money. Those, the, the 10 to 24% greater income also stays with you for the rest of your life. You know, it doesn't track. So that would be one reason that I could look at. In addition to that, men do live longer when they're married because I guess they're eating better and they're going to sleep at reasonable hours and they're not uh, partaking in um, activity that may harm them, like staying up too late or doing drugs or, you know, too much alcohol or, or, you know, behavior that doesn't do their body good. So there is that. But we know, (laughs) we know the system, the way it's set up. So, and this is something I try to explain to women, but women, largely based on, on, on solipsism, but also largely based on how they view marriage because as a whole, women benefit from marriage. And you see this in women who can divorce a man, get yeah. half of his assets, and then marry the next guy, theoretically get half of his assets and so forth. Marriage as a whole, financially at least, tends to be beneficial to women. But for men, you really can't, you really can't say that, that it's financially beneficial. You say they make 20, 30% more money. But as a whole, marrying a woman in the 21st century today is akin to giving her a loaded gun on your wedding night. And she's probably not going to use it that night, right? Because she loves you. But at any time, she has that recourse and that option to take everything that you love, not to mention your kids. I mean, we haven't even talked about how devastating it is for men to lose their kids. And you see 70% of suicides are done by men. And that that's partly the reason But it just seems like the risk, Linda, is so great for a man to marry the sex positive, you know, sea carousel riding, narcissistic, post-Christian, post-modern woman today, that the chances of it working, I mean, regardless of the statistics, but the chances of it working, I just don't know if it's worth the risk. Now, look, I've been married. I have kids. So there's no reason for me to ever remarry. I already have my progeny. I already have my progeny. No reason. But the guys in their 20s and 30s, a lot of them come to Red Pill. They intellectually understand the arguments as to why they shouldn't marry because you're given, it's like playing Russian roulette. But at the same time, they're like, I want to have children. I don't want to have bastard kids. And they rationalize. So, I mean, what, what are these guys who are 27, 30-year-old men, What what's the best option? Because I can't honestly tell them and sleep well at night to tell them, yes, you should marry today. You're right. The odd, For a guy, the odds are stacked against you in, in many, many different categories. I would say probably the primary reason to have, a, to have, to get married would be to have a kid. You know, to have a two-parent household, that would be, you know, do what's in the best in, in interest of the kid. That being said, but, you know, yeah. the end result doesn't always end up that way. Right. So I I agree with you. It's it's a really tough decision. And finding that unicorn, I mean, maybe there's a 10% probability that you'll find somebody that you're madly in love with. You'll stay in love with them and she will, she will continue to give you sex three times a week. I don't know. And stay in shape. So that's a lot of ifs. Um, the odds are stacked against I don't know. It's it's a tough one. I would say get married once for a short amount of time, like five years, and get the heck out. And then all the good qualities that you learn from marriage, you can apply 
for the rest of your life, for interpersonal relationships. You can apply them in business. You can apply them with other relationships. It's all good at that point. Men who never marry, there's a lot of downside to men who never marry. So that's not a good picture either. You know, you're more prone to alcoholism, to drug abuse. You're prone to not have uh, male friends. You're prone to not live as long. Yeah. Uh, what else? Health issues. Um, you're more susceptible to health issues. You're more apt to make stupid decisions that put your life at risk. You know, you might die because of stupid decisions. You know, you're going to have riding off a cliff or whatever and kill yourself. But the issue is like, okay, so you get married. But one of the biggest catastrophic things that happen to men is the gray divorce. So if we talked about the biggest raise in divorce is women and, and, and men and women getting divorced in their 40s and 50s. And I think yeah. a lot of it is like the women are like, okay, I'm going to live another 25 years. Like you said, I'm disenchanted with this man. I can get his money, but not have to be around him. And the gray divorce is so staggeringly uh, catastrophic for a lot of men to get divorced at 62, right before they're going to retire. They lose yeah. a lot of their assets. Now they're alone, they're drinking and all these things. And I get your point, right? To be a non-married man your whole life is not ideal. So I don't, I don't really know how to negotiate this. And again, I would blame this on cultural Marxism, radical feminism, the fact that we're not a Christian society because in Chad and Tyrone, because Chad and Tyrone will indiscriminately bang all of these women and create alpha widows, so to speak. These women become bitter and angry, even though they're not really being accountable for their decisions to, to ride the carousel in their 20s. And then a lot of them turn into radical feminists and then they, they hate on men. And then that contributes to MGTOW. MGTOW exists because of all these women who are false alleging, throwing them in prison, saying all these horrible things. And so you have the sexes pitted against each other, which is a cultural Marxist goal. And so everyone is messed up. Everyone is unhappy with the situation as a whole. And things were much better when we had traditional gender roles. And when men were married, like in the 12th century, 16th century, 19th century, they had the authority and the responsibility over a woman. And now we really don't have the authority over the woman. A woman can leave you at any time and take all your money. So I, I just think that the, the future of America, aside from political issues, is very bleak. And certainly the future of inter, intergender dynamics, I just don't see us, unless there's like an electromagnetic bomb that goes off and we're back in a, like a paleolithic world where there's no electricity, <laughs> and all the feminists will run back, right? They'll all become tradcons. Because they don't know how to cook and hunt and all these things. Aside from that, I don't I don't see how we're gonna improve. I don't see how we're gonna improve either. I have a lot of men in my coaching practice and they go overseas, which yeah. is fine if you go there and stay. In other words, they go to South America or they go to Eastern Bloc countries in, in Europe. If you go there and stay, maybe you could make that work. You know, the old traditional values, maybe you could make it work. But the problem is they go get these women and bring then they bring them back yeah. to the state. <laughs> and within two years, they're Americanized and you're in the same boat. So that yeah. absolutely doesn't work. I mean, I know I know men who like go to the Philippines because the Philippines apparently have very stringent laws for divorce. And there's other countries that are like that. And I did a live stream on a guy who lives over in Taiwan, and he talks about the benefits of Western men living in these countries. But you're right. I mean, hypergamy is intrinsic in all women. And I think it's a, it's a colossal mistake. 
you find this virtue signaling Colombian or Filipina or, or Bhutanese lady or whatever, you know, some obscure Sherpa in, in Nepal yeah. and you bring them back and now they're in the Western world and it's, it might take them a little while, but eventually they're going to get acclimated and then all of those intrinsic qualities are going to come out and it, it doesn't bode well, especially since most of the men that go this route tend to be men who haven't had a lot of experience with women, haven't had a lot of luck with women. They don't maintain frame and they eventually the woman just ends up walking all over them. And then lots of times a woman will either cheat on him or fleece them. So I would totally agree. The foreign bride is a humongous mistake. Yeah, I agree. All right. So uh, let's finish up. So Linda, what's your last takeaway and then give us your information. So guys reach you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on the show. This was a great conversation. I really loved it. Yeah. The takeaway is, I don't know, just like anything in life, you, you just have to do your research to just weigh your odds. Sometimes the risk is worth it. Even if it ends up in a negative ground or it ends up in divorce or whatever, sometimes that experience is still worth it. So I would look at it from that point of view. If it's a learning curve and it helps you get past a personal milestone, I don't know, I guess maybe I would still do it, even though there are a lot of negative factors to marriage. I don't know. I, think, I guess I would still do it. See, I think that's because <laughs> you're a female and I think it's hard for you to kind of like separate the two. Yeah. You, could, you would agree as a female, aside from like physical abuse, there's not a lot of bad things that can come out of a marriage for a woman. And if there is physical abuse, theoretically, she can leave it and then fleece the guy if he's got any money from it. But yeah. um, I, I just don't know if it's worth the risk. I think the the one one of the Achilles heels of MGTOW are the men in their 20s and 30s who want to have kids. Now, there are men who are like, I don't ever want to have kids. And so be, me being a monk or occasionally hiring a prostitute or doing a hookup, it's great because I, I make all the money yeah. I want. I determine how I spend it. I can save it, blah, blah, blah. But the men who want to have kids, I think they're the ones to a certain extent are the lambs going to the slaughter of matrimony. And uh, I, I don't know. I just think of all those kids. You know, I, I think personally for me, it's very difficult to see my kids being raised by another man. And it's partly the custody arrangement here in Texas is I see my daughter, for example, four nights a month and my ex's fiance lives with her. And he sees her 27 days a month. And another man is raising my kids. And for me, I know some guys, it's not a big deal. For me, it is almost unpalatable. It's, it's unbearable for me to, to deal with that. And I think I just get angry at the system, angry at her. And I feel bad for the kids. I just feel bad for the kids because the kids deserve better. You know, I just yeah. feel like all kids deserve better. And it's just the system is just so rotten to the core. But anyways, so where can they reach you again? You only see her four days out of the month? Well, alternating weekends. You know, that, that's standard. First, oh. third, fifth weekends of the month. So it's essentially four to six uh, nights a month. And for me to get 50-50 in Texas, she has to consent. The mom has wow. to consent. And if the mom doesn't consent, you're not going to get it. Or I can take her to court and try to prove that she is a you know heroin addict. Right. Um, but again, it's hard to prove that. And she's not a heroin addict. And I'd spend tons of money on court fees and probably lose. So, right. I mean, it is what it is. But so where can they reach you again? Yeah, themensadvocate.com. Themensadvocate.com is my website. Forward slash coaching. Forward slash coaching is the one-on-one -on -one coaching. 
They can find my radio show. Just type into Google, The Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. And I'm on Blog Talk Radio. Usually it's a weekly show. And then there's five years of archive shows that they can listen to on SoundCloud or TuneIn or whatever their favorite podcasting uh, form is. And what else? Oh, Amazon. My book is called The Science of Mastering Women, The Science of Mastering Women, The Real Truth About Women That Will Change Your Life Forever. And that's available in ebook as well as the paperback. Most of my men do end up buying the paperback. They tell me that they read it four and five times, every possible situation that you can think of in that book, and they use it as a reference guide. They yellow highlighter and come back to it again and again. In very short order, I'm working with my editor right now to convert the book into audio. So that'll be coming up. I know a lot of you guys don't like to read. So uh, the audio is coming very soon. Okay. Well, Linda, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Take take care. care. Bye. See you again. All right. So that was Linda Gross. Uh, I know some of you were posting how old is she? Uh, She's probably in her 40s or 50s, I would imagine. Uh, but that's not really germane to what she's talking about here. Uh, let's let's go through some of your comments really fast. Let's see, undercover men's activists, ALR, especially these female YouTubers, wise up men. That's why coach doesn't have them on. Look, I think I would agree with some of what she says. I don't necessarily agree with it. Like, I think one of the things I don't agree with are the four qualities that all women are looking for. Like Gigi Hadid would pick any dude who's got a connection with her, who's caring and all of this. I don't agree with that. But certainly she agrees that the, the system is set up to hurt men. I think, you know, it's it's nice to hear that from somebody out there who is ostensibly trying to help men. I hope her apostolate, as we would call in the Catholic Church, or her mission, her job, whatever she's doing, is to help counsel men who've gone through divorce and less about like PUA stuff, like get back on the high horse, you know, learn game, learn charisma, do these four qualities. Because we know the divorce rate of second marriages is 70%. So all you're really kind of do is leading them to, to doom. And so hopefully it's more about just helping men purge the relationship thirst and working uh, on some stuff. Yeah, I mean, look, she is advocating marriage. I understand. And look, and I understand her point of view. And the statistics she said are statistics we've all heard, right? Men who never marry tend to suffer from, uh, they have a shorter life expectancy and so forth. And I get that. And I don't want to cast aspersions on her. And maybe those statistics are still valid. We just know kind of from the red pill MGTOW perspective, I don't know, is the is it worth the risk she set for maybe five years? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. But either way, I think it was good to bring her on. I think she was a great guest. And I think it's great to have women who at least acknowledge that the system is effed. And you know she's working to change it like over in Michigan and, and some of the things with 50-50 custody. And look, we're not always going to agree with everybody that comes on. But I think it was good to have her on. And certainly we can disagree with some of what she's saying. But as a whole, I, I think it was it was great. 